from Palma de Mallorca to the global super yacht community. Super Yacht Radio. And welcome to Super Yacht Radio. I have a great pleasure of having an old friend back. Uh, Kareen Rayson, who many of you know as the crew coach, is joining us. And she's joining us with a friend, Richard Wasson, who has his own very involved and interesting story to share with us and uh, a little bit of where that path has taken him over the past year or two. So Richard, thank you for joining us today. It's lovely to have you here. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. It's great. And Corrine, great to have you back. It's been so nice catching up with you in the past couple of weeks. It certainly has. And it's so great to be back. I've got all these feel good emotions happening right now. I'm just really excited, um, especially because of what we're going to talk about today. And I'm so passionate about breaking the stigma and just talking about tabooed topics that we don't tend to talk about and it's really impacting our industry. And I must say, Richard, a client of mine reminded me that it was the vlog that we did together a year ago that made her reach out and I see her once a week for counselling for the past 12 months. So how amazing that and how powerful okay. is that she is an absolutely incredible woman so yeah I just make me so happy that well, it really does make a difference can I can I just mm-hmm. that's sort of where this conversation started because last week was mental health awareness week and I was saying to Kareen you know I I think more than all the talking we can do about it to hear somebody's experience of what they've gone through I know f- for me that's what resonates that's what you remember more than Um, all the kind of talking back and forth sometimes you can do. So um, thank you, Richard, so much for joining us today and um, and sharing yeah, a bit of your great. story. I mean, it's, it's all worthwhile, even if it helps one person like that, you know, then, um, yeah, it makes it all worthwhile for sure. So, yeah, it's great to be here. So, um, Richard, to bring you back, you did you start on boats or you were on boats quite quite early and for quite some time yeah so my first um my first kind of experience was wor- working professionally was in much smaller yachts than super yachts kind of 40 50 footers as a skipper uh teaching sailing and starting deliveries actually out in australia um so that's like 21 years ago now that was like 99 so it's quite a few years ago now and then yeah the the boats just got bigger and yeah the, my career went on and Right up, I spent full time in the business, you know, small boats and big boats in total was about 14, 15 years in total, you know, kind of full time involved. Uh, so that was right up till 2013, 2014. Yeah. So, yeah, it was an, an adventure to say Indeed. the least. It was brilliant. A lot of it. And yeah. then, um, I mean, so you had been seafaring for a long time. You knew yeah. the challenges, certainly. Um what what was sort of what built up in your story of um what kind of catapulted the next sort of stage for you i think i think a lot of it for me was and honestly i went on a gap year that lasted 14 years <laughs> you know so i never really planned to be there that long and i suppose as initially as the years went on um you know, as you get a bit older, you're starting to think, right, 
where is my life going here? What what's you know? And you're involved in this amazing kind of business in some ways, and obviously there's quite a good income comes with it. And you're seeing these amazing countries, but at the back of your mind is this inkling, yeah, there's, th- this has to end at some time, and I got to do something else. So I suppose that was the first. And if I look back on that, that was really 2000. And actually, I can pinpoint when that happened. That was 2008. And yeah, we'd done an amazing trip and stuff. And I, I was involved in an exploration yacht. And we'd we'd been to Greenland and Spitsberg and in Iceland and some amazing trips. But then after that, it was kind of this flat feeling. And it was kind of like, you know, I'm getting too old for this. And I turned 30 that year. And um I suppose if I am to pinpoint when did my mental health kind of start to decline and I really started to think I'm kind of in the wrong place now, it was around that time. Uh, but of course, then, you know, your career was on for a while and I, I was doing quite well at it, I suppose. And I got a, I was chief officer then as a, on a 90 meter a, a bit after that. Um, really amazing job. Um and then I suppose something that was a catalyst, we, we had a death on board, which was a big catalyst. So there was a bit of trauma involved in that. And um, I never I never dealt with that at all. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I suppose there wasn't, of course, that was a quite a big event, but there was nothing, there was a build up to that as well, you know, of thinking, you know, is it time for a change and not really doing anything about it, you know, and then it just snowballs and it builds inside, I suppose, and it comes out eventually, it has to come out eventually. Um, and as did the trauma of the death on board came out eventually. It took a number of years, uh, unfortunately. And looking back on that, you know, I don't, I don't blame anybody for that, other than uh, maybe me not being open enough about it. Um, but there certainly was no aftercare from owners or management or anything in terms of that, you know. And I think that's very common um, in the business to not have, you know, whenever something like that happens. There's, you know, we hear it time and time again. Um, there isn't really that support from from the top end yet you know um so yeah that's that's really it in a nutshell i guess did you stay in touch with the crew on board who also witnessed that death do you know yeah. what they meant were they impacted as well did they feel the extent of it um it was a unique kind of circumstance in that without going into details of the location or the vessel i dealt with a lot more than other crew dealt with um yeah. I had firsthand, I had a lot more firsthand uh, experience of what happened uh, than other crew. Um, but to answer your question, yes, I'm very much in touch with the captains and crew. And honestly, the captain, whenever I did experience the kind of, I want to, for want of a better expression, the emotional, um, when the emotions did come to the surface a few years later, I was still in touch with him and I reached out to him and they were very supportive then. They were supportive then because I was very honest and about what had happened and what had come to the surface. And um, then the captain was as taken aback by it as I was because honestly I didn't really think that it had affected me in the way that it did um, until it came to the surface, until it was like PTSD for, you know, that's really what it was. And I ended up in psychotherapy care and and then obviously I didn't really know that PTSD could take a few years to surface. And had then, you been, can you know, I ask, Richard, had you been working, you know, that the trauma happened and then did you just carry in, carry on working during that time? Yeah. And mm-hmm. so a few years yeah. later, then it, it had it, yeah. its effect, so to speak. Yeah. 
No, I must admit, once I, once it came to the surface and I looked back, I could connect the dots around behaviors, around drink behaviors, alcohol, escapism, not really want to be there. My whole kind of um, enthusiasm really dropped for the job. And that's what that's I wasn't conscious of really why I left that boat in 2013. But I had a f- number of health issues appear as well, which was quite interesting. Um, so the trauma kind of happened 2011. I kind of then took the decision to leave the industry in 2013, not really knowing that it was linked to that trauma, but it, but it certainly was, you know, and um, yeah, it, it manifested in a few health issues to begin with, but then ended up in something a bit more serious than that. So um, yeah, so I was, you know, I was really, really grateful and still am to them. And I think I really raised their awareness, you know, of, of how if something like that happens and where we can't just brush it under the carpet and go on, which is what I did myself. You know, I thought, oh, that hasn't affected me. I'm the man that I am, and um, I'll keep going. And, yes, it was a really bad experience, but, you know, people overseas in the military experience far worse than what I experienced, and everything's going to be okay, you know, <laughs> but it wasn't. But I'm glad to say I'm out the, completely out the other side of that now, which is good. Oh, absolutely. But, I, I mean, I guess I'm kind of um, wondering, did it, did it start with – um, you said at the time you you didn't have um, you just kind of got on with it, which I mean I kind of think that the big difference though is in the army. I, I think there's probably some resistance training in order to cope with that, or there's a recognition of it. Um, for you, I mean you you kind of said retrospectively you could join the dots, but at the time you just kind of got on with it, and then it was sort of health issues, and then. Um, and I, I kind of think that this is one of the other things with mental health issues is that they can, they can sort of creep up and people don't necessarily recognize what's going on at the time or what their symptoms are. Or um, the other big one is, is feeling a tremendous amount of guilt or blame because they don't necessarily realize, oh, you know, that happened two years ago. Um, it it's now having an effect on me. You know, I've, I've heard similar stories of people just sort of plowing on and working and not recognizing what's happening until sometimes something stops them or they just get really, really depressed and just, it's like body and mind is is making them stop finally. Yeah. And you do, you do feel, I mean, even now, this doesn't cripple me in any way, but even now I look back and think, why did that affect me so much? You know, it doesn't bother me that, but it's just a fact that it, that you do wonder that. But, but that's just a bit more about being curious about the mind. You're wondering, yeah, how could such a thing, you know, research? It's just fascinating to me that that can happen, that it gets buried and then it comes out. Um, and you do, yeah, at the time you definitely feel, you do feel, you know, the overriding thing when it does come up is weakness. You know, am I weak? Is this, why has this happened to me? And it wasn't that bad compared to what other people see and, particularly coming from Northern Ireland and knowing a lot of people who, here who've experienced extreme trauma over the troubles that we had here. And you sort of think, ah, am I weak or am I, you know, but that doesn't matter. The fact is that it, it did affect me. And, uh, you know, I, cu- I could have analyzed that all year, uh, for years, forever, really. Why is it, why did it affect me and this and that? And, uh, you know, you'll never know the answer to that. So, um, you know, somebody said, to, I said, why? I did say that at the time at, to some to my psychotherapist or someone. And she, her reply was like, well, why not you? 
you know, why not you? You know, it's it's something that happens to so many people. You know, we don't, you know, we cripple ourselves by analyzing why has this happened to me, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I think also it's important to note that people can experience vicarious trauma. So, for example, maybe the crew on board who didn't have contact with the body or the death are still impacted because they served the person, whatever it is. Um, And the same working in a prison, I would hear horrific stories or I'd build relationships with the the prisoners, the therapeutic relationship, and then a year later they've OD'd and they've died and I've been working with them in a six-month treatment program and only two years later did I grieve. And it was the weirdest thing. Like I could hear his voice and his laugh. Um, I was invited to his funeral but didn't go. And that was really difficult and found myself getting emotional. And I was like, as you just said, why now? Like I was fine for the past two years and now, you know, like I, 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 it didn't feel like I should have had those feelings because I wasn't, I was involved, but only for a short period of time in his therapeutic treatments. And then I saw the um, a nurse who works in the jail and does supervision. She said, you've got vicarious trauma. You need time off work. Went to the GP and he laughed in my face. And he said, what? Vicarious trauma? And felt so unsupported. And that reminds me of people in leadership positions on board who don't know how to deal with those things and telling crew, you'll get over it, you know, just move on and how that is impacting. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, it's, it's such a big thing, you know, and I suppose to go back, you know, yeah, like you said there, like, honestly, I didn't really know the person that well um, at all. So again, that was like, why, why me, you know, sort of thing. But then what you've just said there, it doesn't matter. It's that human to human. We're, we're all human beings and that natural instinct if you've experienced someone else having trauma and, and obviously dying, then that affects us no matter if you know them or so in terms of a, a vessel, it doesn't matter if it's a guest that's been on for two days or a crew member that you've known for five years, it'll still affect you. And I think, you know, or, you know, it's the same if we witness a road traffic accident, we don't know the people at all, but yet there's still going to be a lot of trauma. So I think sometimes that was, that was perhaps my excuse for brushing it under the carpet was, well, I didn't really know the person. How could it affect me? But, we're all humans at the end of the day, and it was another human being. So, yeah, and we tend to deny our feelings. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's also odd that we do that. Yeah, and I remember you saying that the yo-yoing, I think, from land base to back on the yachts, yeah. also, I think, impacted you in some capacity. Can you tell me a bit more about that? Yeah, so I got in. I suppose. Um, you know, and this is one of the things that I'm passionate about. Now, I left in 2013 without a plan at all, really. And I left sort of because of I had little niggly health issues, but I didn't really, you know, didn't really have a reason for leaving as such. You know, I can see it now, as I said, I connect the dots, but, and I didn't have a plan. And then because I didn't have a plan, I got into the, the trap, which is so, so common of the golden handcuffs of getting an email or whatever it is and an offer to come back and going for it and then honestly the minute i remember joining uh, a vessel and the minute my feet hit the deck i knew i was in the wrong place and i was like i felt like a sellout i was like what am i doing back here 
um, you know, my whole values and everything were just challenged. And I was like, this is, and I'm not saying it was, a, it was an extremely exciting vessel, an extremely exciting program. But for me at that time in my life, it wasn't the right thing to be doing, you know, and obviously I was just there for the cash. And yeah, I mean, I wasn't there that long, you know, I had to, and that was the start of my, the kind of trauma surfacing. I, I left that boat quite suddenly and went away. And then, um, so I did, I then did all, I can laugh at myself now because it's all so mad, you know, um, some of my decisions, but then I went, um, I went away, um, and did, and that's when the trauma surfaced and I did, did a lot of the, the, the self-exploration and the psychotherapy and things. And I thought I was cured. And then I got another email to ask me to go back to it. And I repeated the same thing again. And not only that, I actually went back to the same vessel. It was exactly the same vessel under different ownership um, that I that I went back to. And again, I turned up. And not only that, this time the program was not good. <laughs> I'm not using that as an excuse. But it was it was something that it was one of those cases where you were missold something, which unfortunately does happen in this business. But anyway, not to go into details of that, I turned up again and the same thing, the same deck, I set foot on and I was like, I've done this again. What am I doing here? I cut a stop this cycle of getting sucked back in for the to the golden handcuffs, you know? And needless to say, that was my last, that was my last, that was two and a half years ago now, I think. Something like that. Um, yeah. And and I was in a much better place psychologically at that time, you know, far better place because I'd realized the trauma and I dealt with all that. But at the same time, it was still not the right life choice to make at that time, if that made sense. You know, it was time to really settle on shore. And thankfully, you know, that's the place I've got to now and I've got out of that. Uh, but it took a couple of goes at it. And then since I've, since I've done that, I mean, I hear of that so often in this business, you know, people because of the golden handcuffs and people make the life choice to come ashore for whatever reason. And then we get sucked back and then we know it's the wrong place to be. And that can really, um, my self-esteem was quite, wasn't great after that. Cause I knew I kept, kept me in these decisions, which weren't great. And then you think I've no rudder here, you know, to a nautical kind of analogy. I was totally rudderless. I was like, well, I'm not meant to be on board and I'm not really sure what I'm doing on shore. And, so it got over the trauma, but then I was like, where am I going in life? You know, that kind of thing. So mm. anyway. Well, because I think, sorry, just, yeah. but it, it's one of the things of when our sense of ourselves is lost a bit, which, which I think is one of the things we feel when we're depressed. Um, even when we get over the emotions, it can take a much longer time to kind of reestablish who we truly feel to be you know, kind of post-recovery as well, I think. Definitely. I totally agree with that because if you had taken me back 10 years, you know, you're this young guy who's traveling the world without a care in the world and making this money and rubbing shoulders from the richest people on the planet. And then 10 years later, you're like, who am I now? You know, that's all, it's gone. And yeah, where do I go from here kind of thing? So yeah, I, I identify a lot with what you just said there for sure. I'm sure crew would relate, a lot of crew would relate to what you're saying about returning to the vessel and thinking, what am I doing? And I'm just curious to know from your perspective, because I think that will help crew normalize the behavior. What happened for you physiologically when you stepped back on board and it didn't feel right? Physiologically? Yeah. Um, 
well, in terms of my feelings was just, yeah, just like being in the totally wrong place and not, not, uh, not well, really, just sort of an angst. There was an anxiety there, definitely. And I suppose part of that anxiety was brought about, you know, I signed up, it was a vessel I didn't know when I was getting off it again. You know, one of those cases where you sign up and you have no clue when the first leave's coming. It could be six months, it could be eight months. You don't, you just don't know. Um, so was, and that brought about a lot of feelings of anxiety and, and like I'm not in the right place. This is a young man's game now and I'm the wrong side of 40, which I was at that time. I wasn't quite, I was 30, I would have been 39. Uh, but I was like, this is, yeah, this is not the right place to be. So yeah, it was a very strong kind of, but then again, it's it's easy to kind of, it's a similar thing to the trauma in a way. We just ignore that, don't we? We try to get on with it, you know? To the point where you can't handle it anymore. So like you might yes. start experiencing insomnia, there's a change in your yeah. eating, um, your thinking may become quite negative or distorted. So those are the yeah. telling signs that there's something not quite right. And then we, again, yeah. as you said, we persist and we just hope that somehow it will all disappear. And I know yeah. with the my career working in the prison system I learned that my value is justice and that's why I was working there because I wanted um I wanted them to be treated fairly in a therapeutic environment rather than a punitive environment and I went to this fancy prison where they put on the whole show it was fireworks it didn't even look like a prison didn't see any barbed wire and one of my clients ended up in segregation for pro-social behavior and I would just get so depressed. I'd see him and there was no, there was the, the outdoor space was tiny. There was no clock, no TV. Like it was awful. He was losing weight. His mental health was deteriorating. And I'm like, this is not fair. And I was crying after every time I would see him and deliver some sort of therapeutic treatment, I was in tears. I'm like, this is not normal. This is not right. But I know why, because it's going against my values. And if I don't, yeah. yeah, if I didn't have clarity around my values and I couldn't have made the decision to leave, I think I would have persisted further. So, exactly. yeah, interesting. So for you, I think it sounds like you came to that realization too. Totally, totally. And that's one of the things now that I'm really passionate about, helping people to make those decisions more effectively than I did. Um, you know, through that self-exploration of realizing, you know, what what is the right decision for me at this time? And I think it's not only the people that can benefit because, you know, I did. I If you could plot a chart of my professionalism throughout my career, you know, 2010, 11, 12, I mean, to this day, I know for a fact, um, you know, I would have pretty good references, let's say. But unfortunately, after all that I said, my professionalism declined dramatically. You know, it really did. And those last couple of boots, I let people down badly. And so I think that self-exploration and making those decisions effectively, not only for ourselves, but also for the people we're going to work for, you know, to, to really make sure that we're in the right place at the right time and we're doing the right thing for everybody, you know, uh, and that it is in line with our values at that time is, is so key. Yeah. One of the yeah. interesting um, things last year, we had a group um, with us and to discuss about mental health. And um, there was a crew agent and he made the comment. And I, I thought it was quite interesting and quite honest. He was like, you know, there's two sides to it. 
One of it is that crew can be very worried about admitting to mental health issues because they're afraid it's not like when you're on on shore and you can quietly go on a Friday evening to see a therapist or do you know you don't have your support system, you don't have your apartment to close off. So it's, you know, it's much more tricky um, if you do need time off. And um, as Kareen knows um, better than anyone, it depends what support you have on board as well, how people are um, working with you. It was like, but the other side of it is if you are having mental health issues, possibly that's a sign that this isn't a career that suits you as well. Like it's kind of a double-edged sword. You know, one side is Prue being worried of being blackballed and it affecting them, so not wanting to admit to it. The other side might be if you're having mental health issues and a lot of anxiety, maybe that's some warning bell in life saying this might not be the place for you right now. It may have been, you know, five years ago, but... And I thought that was an interesting comment. I don't know if there's a solution on either, but I'd love to hear your feedback because I think that's kind of what you were saying. It's exactly what I was saying. Exactly what I was saying, yeah. So, and for me then, honestly, for a short time, that challenged my mental health because then again, you're left in that space. Well, how come I can't do this anymore? You know, how come it's not suited to me anymore? I used to love this business so much and it used to, you know, I was adventurous and traveling the world and it was amazing so what's happened to me you know um but <clears throat> i think to sum that up is age happened is a lot of it you know um we do change over time our values change dramatically and if we don't live according to those then yeah we'll you know by by hook or by crook we'll be taken out of that situation i, I believe our subconscious mind will will take us out of there whether we're you know consciously or not and that's kind of what happened to me but I think that's a really, really good point that that crew agent made. And yeah, it's so key, as I said, for, for everybody, you know, because if somebody doesn't really want to be there, then yeah, or not, not that they don't want to be there. Maybe they do want to be there, but they're not quite suited to it. And it, their mental health is being affected. Then obviously their whole uh, work on board and everything will be infected. And I know from personal experience, once that happens, safety safety and things can get compromised as well you know so um it's such a key thing to to think about and be aware of and it's not a i mean let's face it it's a very very intense business and it's not a business that's suited to everybody you know i remember coming home when i was um sort of at the the good part of my career let's say and coming home and telling my friends at home who had no connection with yachting about our work schedules and what I was doing. And they were like, that is crazy. It's absolutely crazy how much you're working when you're away. Um, you know, if you have a guest on board for four months or whatever without a single hour off, never mind a day off. And, you know, it is intense. It's really intense. So I don't think it's an, a shameful thing to turn around and say, I'm just not suited to this anymore. Um, no matter how much the dollar signs are in your head, because let's face it, that's a lot of the reason that I was back in it. And I think that's a lot of the reason why people think, oh, I'll just do it for another five years or whatever and earn X amount and then I'll get out. But for that five years <laughs> could be hell or could be the end of you for, you know, unfortunately, um, you know, in terms of health and all sorts of things, it, it's just not the right thing to do. But anyway, yeah, I could talk about it all day long, obviously. Um, yeah, well, ask me that. 
say what's um, interesting is that um, people think that you can have, you will have an existing, pre-existing mental health issue before working on board, but don't realize that it can, the environment on board can trigger a mental health issue. So I've had two clients recently, one is suffering from anxiety because of the poor leadership and also because of poor leadership. Another client said to me, I, I think I've got bulimia because I'm binge eating and then I'm vomiting it up because wow. of the stress and the poor leadership on board is creating these mental health issues. So there's a lot that comes into play with yeah. all of this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of factors there, definitely, a lot of factors. Can can I ask you guys, I, I'd like to ask a few more questions. We just need to go to a commercial break and uh, be right back. So if you just hang with us for a moment. Sure. Super Yacht Radio, making you feel good all day long. And you are here on the crew mess with Maeve and Corrine Rayson, who is known to many of you as a crew coach, and Richard Wasson, who I'm so touched that he's sharing his story today because there is nothing like hearing the experience of somebody who's gone through it and very honestly, you know, I'd gone through it and got to the other side. And um, hearing that story, I think, is um, a huge part of what can help people more than anything else. Richard, we were talking, you were talking about the yo-yo of it took quite a few times back and forth before you finally kind of said, this isn't, this isn't where I need to be. Um, when you were when you were kind of in the midst of it, though, did you have, because this is the other feedback I've heard from crew, did you have um, concerns at the time before you thought it's time for me to get off boats? Um, did you have problems with, oh, this might affect my CV or how do I explain that I was away for a month or did you have anxiety and worries of, of how you manage that part of it? Yeah, I mean, um, I think, I think honestly, the reason that I came back that last time, um, a lot of it was to get my ticket renewed, um, because my ticket I hadn't really done that much, uh, because obviously I left two thousand thirteen, and then yeah, it was to come back. But I had done, I had done a bit of management in between times, yacht management. So I suppose that was. That was how I managed to get back on board, even though I had a bit of a gap, uh, because I was still kind of involved in the industry from the shore, from the shore side, um, for quite a while. Um, so I was still, you know, I was still kept keeping my hand in that way. But yeah, I think, I suppose to answer your question in terms of being at sea, I wasn't that concerned because I suppose I knew, I knew that final time. I did go away that time to make it work, you know, and I kind of, I kind of had this thing, which is um, sort of looking back, wasn't very sensible. You know, I left in 2013 as a chief officer and my dream was always to become a captain and I hadn't done that. So I think it wasn't, you know, yes, the money was a big part of it, but it was also, <clears throat> excuse me, it was also to get that captaincy of a big boat, you know, for the ego thing mm. uh, and to really tick that off my list. And I could, you know, for, I was told so much throughout my career that that was the path that I was on. 
and I had the skills and the leadership. And I mean, I was I was huge into the leadership piece. I absolutely loved leadership, and I loved having a happy crew. I loved listening to the crew. You know, I loved all that, and um, you know, I consistently got really good feedback around that. So, you know, part of me and uh, part of me kind of knew. Sorry, I have a frog in my throat. That's really I'm going to have to clear. Sorry. But I think it, it's that um, long-held belief that sometimes we can hold a belief for so long that we forget sometimes to stop and think, is this still what I want to do? I mean, I, I actually mentioned this yesterday of going, and I remember the moment of basically what got me here to Mallorca was I was home in Ireland and I had traveled a lot as a kid and I was sure I was going to spend the rest of my life in Ireland. You know, that's somewhere around the age of 11 or 12, I think I decided I was going to. And I remember driving home one day and my kids were in the back and my husband Dave had always wanted to go traveling and I had always said, no, 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 we're going to stay in Ireland. And I remember driving home and seeing mountains in front of me and just stopping for a moment and thinking, is that actually still what I want? Or have I held that idea for so long that actually I've never stopped to think if that suits who I have grown to be, kind of. Um, and that was like so, my little moment of kind of realizing it. And that's ultimately what let me leave Ireland, you know, recognizing that it didn't hold the same belief. It's so interesting you're saying that because so uh, to, to, to catch up to what I was saying. So, yeah, I had this kind of, um, you know, this, I suppose it was a, it was an ego thing. I was thinking, right, I'm, I'm going to be a captain. I got to be a captain. I got to at least be a captain before I leave this industry. You know, that was my destiny kind of thing. Um, turns out it wasn't my destiny at all, which is great now. And I, I don't uh, lose sleep over that at all, to be honest. But after that last trip, I came home to Ireland and I rented an apartment very close to the shore in the north coast of Northern Ireland, one of the most beautiful coastlines in the world. And I went for a walk along this really long beach, Port Stewart Strand. And it's so funny you, you, what you've just said, because I was in the middle of that beach and it was like an epiphany. And it was like, what have I been looking for? All this travel over all the years, all around the world, what I'm looking for is right here. You know, it's right here. And I realized that that adventurous, because a lot of me was, I was telling myself, I have this adventurous spirit. I need to be on a boat to cater for that adventurous spirit. Whereas I was walking along this beach on a blustery kind of rustic day. And I was like, this is as adventurous as diving in the Caribbean or as diving in the South Pacific. And I realized that that was, that's the, that's one of my big values, but that value can be met here and now and anywhere you know what i don't have to be on a big shiny boat as a captain to to satisfy that need as it were it's much more simple than that and uh, so it's so interesting you told that story about being in ireland and then i remember i i got back to my apartment that day and i phoned one of my good friends who'd also just transitioned out of yachts to become a teacher and i phoned him and i was like i've like we've everything we need here we've got it it's all here it's all <laughs> and it was just like this i don't you could call it a spiritual moment whatever but um yeah that's that's kind of what happened and that i had a lot of peace after that i was like do you know what it's just it's not meant to be i'm in the i'm exactly where i'm supposed to be and now i can look back and see all these things and the learnings and with quite a lot of 
satisfaction in a way um, that I got through it and I the things that I learned and you know it's such a cliche thing to say that we wouldn't be the people we are today without all those experiences but it's it's so true as well you know mm. it's cliche but it's very true so yeah well I think that's one so of interesting. the interesting you shared that story about Ireland yeah well it, it, it was and, and kind of to add to what you were saying at the end I um I read this beautiful book years and years ago and it was called The Wisdom of Depression and it mm-hmm. you know it, 20 years ago there it's particularly in Ireland, there actually still was a limited amount of information about depression. And um, one of the things I loved about this book was it was saying depression, even though right now you feel like you're in the deepest, darkest hole, when you get to the other side of it, there is a gift in it. You know, it has forced you to stop. And in stopping... You have to change what you're doing or how you're doing or how you're looking at yourself or your life. And when you can get to the other side of it, you will find it will bring you great wisdom. And it was, I think, the most positive thing I had ever seen about depression, because depression, to be honest, generally isn't seen as a very happy topic. <laughs> um, no. But I, and I still have the book today of, you know, that I share with friends that I know are very blue, you know, every now and then. And a lot of it is just good advice, you know, exercise and um, things you can do to support yourself and stuff. But uh, the principle that actually a great amount of wisdom can come from depression because it's forcing you in many ways to stop and review and find another path. Yeah. I, I love that idea that there was a positive to it. And there's one other thing that I wanted to sort of uh, reflect on too is um, just in particular with our industry. And I think this is where it's so important with people like Corrine who, you know, know what it's like. Because one case that I had when I came home, and I still kind of believe this happened, but it, it did. So I came home and I described what was happening and that I was in this, you know, my mental state was not good and all the rest of it. And the, the counselor that I was with at the time said, so, let me get this right. You work on a big, shiny yacht. You earn a fortune. You're traveling the world. You're with the rich and famous. You're going in and out of places like Monaco and, you know, Florida and the Caribbean. And you're depressed. What's wrong with you? And they were <laughs> they're like, they, they just didn't get it at all. And so I think that's why it's so important you know, we have people like Kareen who understand it because people outside this industry do not have a clue about it. Let's face it. They, how can they? You know, they see it from the outside, the glitz, the glamour, the money. Uh, but nobody understands the intensity unless they've been there. The intensity of being a crew member, you can't explain that. You just cannot explain it to anyone who hasn't done it. Yeah. And and the the added... You might be on a big boat, but you still have a small cabin. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. not like it, the boat belongs to you. Um, exactly. And you can be constantly surrounded with people, but it can be very lonely if you aren't connected with any of your crew. Um, yeah. That there's, I totally agree that there's all sorts of, and I think possibly that's one of the challenges for yacht crews is there is, there is the perception of what their lives should be like. So therefore, if they're not feeling, you know, they've got the ticket, they've got the the job and the whatever, if they're not feeling happy in it, there's an added yeah. pressure of, but I get to do 
you know, this great job. Why aren't I happy? Well, it's really interesting. I did a TEDx talk a few years ago when I said exactly that. I said that I felt I felt that big Mr. Society was looking at me and going, how dare you? How dare you feel unhappy? Because you have everything that society states you should have on paper, you know, from a materialistic point of view, not from an emotional point of view, but from a materialistic point of view. And yes, I, I totally agree with that, that very often crew can tell themselves, I should be, what's wrong? You know, and then you get even more kind of depressed because you're wondering why you're depressed, if that makes sense. I just wanted to say, Richard, firstly, thank you so much for your courage to speak about a very difficult topic because I know I can take it for granted because it's what I talk about predominantly and especially being male I really wanted to thank you for being so honest and sharing this with the community what I'm seeing and what I'm noticing is that you seem very calm you seem very connected you seem very grounded I may be wrong I don't know but maybe you can clarify things but I get this impression that you have arrived. You've arrived at the place that you want to be. Looking back, well, looking at where you are now and looking back where you've come from, what would you have to say about that? Yeah, I mean, I suppose I spent a lot of time um, thinking, you know, how can I recreate those good times? Because let's face it, a lot of yachting is amazing. You know, and a lot of my yachting days, particularly in the early days, were phenomenal. I, I'm, I mean, phenomenal. I was lucky to work on what I believe, and with the best owner and the best crew in the whole business. And I've no qualms about naming the boat on Lone Ranger um, in the sort of 2007, 2008. And I'm still very close with a lot of those people because we experienced such amazing, amazing things with an owner who was an absolute dream. He owned a boat because he wanted the crew to have a good time. He didn't own a boat for himself. That was part of his philanthropy, was to have a boat to travel the world and bring 17 people with him. And to be part of that was just phenomenal. I mean, he spent a lot of his time on board and and sent us off on the trips because he got more satisfaction out of seeing us do the trips than doing the trips himself. So that was just phenomenal to be part of that. Um, but anyway, so after that, then I suppose you spend a lot of time when you've lived such a good, some good, really amazing days, you spend a lot of time in your own mind trying to recreate that and thinking, how will that happen again? You know, and I, I can identify a lot with sports people who have won a lot of sports in their 20s, you know, say footballers or Olympic gold medalists or whatever. And then they finish and they're like, what do I do now? How do I top this? How do I finish this? And yeah, but to, to sum up, I think I've got to the stage now where I can look back on those times with real contentment and think, I feel so blessed to have experienced all that. It doesn't mean that I have the yearning to do the same thing again because I'm at a place now where I know a lot of that isn't possible because of age, because of where I am in life, and it's just not suited. As we we're saying, I've come to that realization. Um, but I can look back now not thinking, oh, I need those days back. I need them back. But I can look back at them and think, I'm so blessed to have experienced them. They were absolutely amazing. And I'm so content to have done it. And um, yeah, and, and so trusting that there is great times ahead as well. Have I arrived? I don't think so. <laughs> I don't feel that at all. Um, 
your turmoil, like the distress, the internal conflict when you said you stepped on board and it didn't feel right. And now yeah. you seem to be in a place of um, surrender you, your confidence in where you are at now. You've said that you're extremely grateful and it seems that that experience has influenced where you are today and your new business, which is to help crew transition out of yachting with a strategy. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I feel, yeah, I, I do. I, I have to, I will admit, I, I do feel probably more content than I've felt in a long time. And I think connecting the dots, um, again, I think I realized in my last times on board, you know, around 2013, when I was last working, you know, full time, I realized that I really did count the days. You know, I was counting the days away until I got off the boat, you know, and I think that's no matter where you are, that's not a very healthy place to be. Um, yeah. It's wishing your life away. And I'm definitely at a stage now where I'm not doing that at all, which I think is a great, you know, for me is, is a good sign that that's, you know, you're in a better place. And yeah, I feel in a really good place to be able to help people. And I think one of the things we do when we try to transition and it's a conventional way of looking for a job as we get on the job site, we think, what what shall I, you know, let's just see what comes along. It's kind of, we either go by luck or we do a little bit of research. But I think what I'm, you know, going to help people with and hope to help people with, and well, I suppose I already am, is doing a bit more of a full appraisal of, you know, ourselves and cr create that self-awareness to think, what can I, what is actually going to be suited to me and where do I want to go now? What's the goal? You know, where, and I use the nautical analogy of the passage plan that we do whenever we go to sea across the Atlantic, let's say, and we do that plan, you know, we don't know when we're going to have to alter course for weather or for other vessels or obstacles, you know, of course there's going to be obstacles, but at the same time, that doesn't stop us doing a plan, you know, and uh, really figuring out where am I in life now and what is important to me before we jump into other things? I mean, for me, I got into yacht management and I ended up being away from home more than I was when I was on board, you know? So, uh, and that was one of the values that w was I wanted was to be at home more. And yeah, because I, w I got off a boat into a job that didn't suit those values either, you know? So a lot of those things, and I hear that so much in the business because uh, I, I do work now, I work for the UK government, but I hear that a lot of seafarers coming off commercial ships and say they become a surveyor. They may be on a commercial ship doing three months on, three months off, they become a surveyor and they're traveling the world 365 days a year and they actually see their family less. So it's kind of, you know, do it, putting all those pieces of the puzzle together and thinking, right, what's important? What what is going to suit me and then going from there, then doing the actual technical piece of looking for jobs and talking to people and networking. And so helping people with that whole, that whole journey. That's what I'm. Mm. Yeah. Amazing. And I think and just uh, yeah. having, helping people recognize their skills and who they are as yeah. well. You know, yeah. it was what you said earlier of that, you know, I, I think for many crew, they've been so focused on their crew career and getting the right certificates that all of those other skills, like you were saying, of you loved the position of leadership, you know, aren't necessarily ones that they recognize as being talents and skills. Totally, totally. And there's a great book. I have it here, actually, which I work from a lot. What Color Is Your Parachute? Yeah, I've got Dick it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Dick it's like the Bible of career change and everything. And he talks about, you know, the, using the language, I am, you know, I am a leader. I am 
a people person rather than, you know, I work on a boat because that identity, we get so wrapped up in that identity. It's very hard to break it and see ourselves as a person. What can we offer the world? You know, I knew that this hour was going to whiz by very, very quickly. And we are just hitting the top of the hour. But um, Richard, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your story. For people that are tuning in and they actually, uh, it's evoked something in them and they want to find out a little bit more. I know you are on LinkedIn, but if they want to know more about success after C. LinkedIn. For sure is the best. Uh, just Richard Watson on LinkedIn. I do have all the other social media set up. Uh, it's very early days. There's not much going on over there yet, but LinkedIn. Okay, they can the send you a message you there. Yeah. And Kareen, yeah. um, I know you're on all platforms as well as your own website for The Crew Coach, if anyone wants to have a chat with you as well. Thank you so much both for joining us here today. You have been listening to Super Radio. From Palma de Mallorca to the global super yacht community, Super Yacht Radio.